and welcome to Bunta Vista episode 172. We are here in what your dipshit cousin believes the Bureau of Meteorology to be. Due to budgetary cuts and scheduling issues, there's only the two of us left to progress the communist climate agenda, but we make do. I'm Theo. It's my job to get both the weather and climate forecasts wrong, <laughs> because they're basically the same thing. Uh, because I work smart, not hard, I've developed a script to turn horoscopes into weather forecasts. Canberra is a Virgo, Brisbane is a Sagittarius, Sydney is a Cancer, and <laughs> Melbourne is such a Gemini. And that leaves me all afternoon to make up a number for the estimated temperature rise by 2050, so let's say um, uh, 3.4 degrees, uh, and develop a deep and consistent library of backing evidence and studies to support it. Uh, also with me is my layabout son-in-law, Ben. He's not much good for anything, but I do let him back calibrate all the temperature records going <laughs> back into the 19th century to better fit our devious aims. He also gets to do the MS Paint war weather warnings, which he really seems to enjoy. How are you, Ben? <laughs> Oh, so good. My favourite thing is um, taking a, a map that sort of highlights the likelihood of dangerous thunderstorm behaviour, mm -hmm. going into MS Paint, very crudely drawing a rectangle uh, on there, and then putting in some very badly scaled text that says, this storm is very dangerous next yeah, to it. But it's it seems like just about anybody could do that but you need to know how to find the rectangle with the border mm -hmm. yeah, that's and set true. your primary color to white and your secondary <laughs> color to black and you'd think maybe this is something we could have developed a, a template for got a, a graphic designer to give us some yep. assets for photoshop or something similar but it's that rustic yeah sort of it's the handcrafted love hand that goes crafted. into them now i notice um you didn't actually say what uh, Sydney's star sign was. You just accurately described it. Oh, yes. No, that that's right. Um, so, with that one, I just roll a, a dice, basically. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Oh, uh, because their weather doesn't matter. And the place doesn't matter. No. And frankly, I'm tired of hearing about it. Awful. What, I mean, what does it do for us? I mean, I don't know. I'm There's really not sure what we're getting from Sydney at probably this Probably some arts happens there, maybe, but at what cost? Hmm. Mm. It's Terrible been really cost. hard doing this job, honestly. I got to say, I've I've gone back, you know, to like 1950, and I've knocked 10 degrees off every high temperature. Uh, it's it's a lot of work. There's so many numbers, yeah. but it's worth it. It is worth it. Um, for mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, our, our aims must be pretty clear because I mean, if why we were else doing would this, that's do right. This? No, no, yeah. I did remember this when I, I came in the other day, and I'm like, oh, this is why we're orchestrating a grand conspiracy to uh, fake uh, climate reports, uh, and uh, it's yeah. just it's, and you, it's you right and I, there. Every winter, we're going to both Antarctica, Greenland. Uh, anywhere with an ice shelf, and yep. we're taking a really big chisel. Mm -hmm. We're shaving a bunch off that. Yeah, I'm running my uh, my hairdryer over <laughs> the nearest glacier I can find. <laughs> I took a bunch of hot water bottles to the Arctic Circle. I also lit some of it on fire, and it's all worth it because because yeah. And we're pretty clear on that. Yeah, and that's it's very obvious why someone would put all these hours in. Speaking of something that someone put a lot of hours into. Theo, what's the ideal length of a thing to watch for you? Oh, I would say 30 to 40 seconds. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, and it, that's probably true for most people, I would yeah. say. But say, you know, you were like, hey, I'm going to watch something while I sit down to eat dinner. You know, perhaps an episode of a television show. Sh yeah, sure, sure. Now, what they go for... Mm -hmm. Typically something like 22 to 58 minutes. Yeah, somewhere in that vicinity. Yeah, to get a, like a narrative arc going, you sort of... Yeah. I'm a very slow eater, so I'm more of a HBO dinner guy. Well, you're, you're looking maybe even at a classic sort of 43-minute episode. Yeah, an X-Files sort of dearly. Yeah, sure. Now, imagine if you ate a little bit faster mm -hmm. and you had replied uh, 22 to 23 minutes, the short-form television episode length. That would have given me a great opportunity to scream at you and say, no, too long. I want half that. I want less than half of that. And that was essentially the business model of a little app called, and I hope I'm saying this correctly, Quibi. 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 I have been saying Quibi. Oh, you uh, would. Um, 
not entirely sure what that implies, but I have been this whole time until today when I was reading an article where they stressed it was a more of a quibby situation. Um, it doesn't exist anymore, or at least it, it shortly uh, will no longer exist. This was... How would you describe it? It's like if... It's, mm. Yep. <laughs> so it's a service like Netflix, but... It's all original programming, and it is designed by someone whose, like, core belief is that everyone under the age of 40 has had their mind so shattered by the internet that they can only watch things in, like, eight-minute chunks, and that they only watch things on their phones. Which is weirdly the one thing that they got right. That yeah, is that- the, the one true part of, of all of this, because everything, everything else <laughs> involved with Quibi is, from the outset, just a complete, uh, you know... A non-starter, right? Like, I mean, a new streaming service, um, who's to say we don't already have too many streaming services? Um, none of the things that you like are on there. Mm. Um, none of the things that you know that are you on know there are at there. all. Yeah. Um, it's sort of got the vaguest of name recognition goings. Um, just just awful idea from, from start to finish, which, of course, is why uh, it was... Uh, it raised... Almost $2 billion. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Can I throw some numbers at you really quickly? Oh, please. I love so, numbers. The platform Quibi, they produced uh, a bit over 175 shows. And of those shows, they produced over 8,500 episodes. Can you name Fuck, one one of those shows for me? Just the name of the show. Oh. Just one. Um. <sighs> And Anna Kendrick's Toilet Parade. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that one was great. Sorry, yeah. I can describe one, the Golden Arm one, um, with, I think, the lady from Westworld. She's right. got a golden arm, but she's too attached to the golden arm or something. I, I didn't really look and into it. And it makes her sick. There's something on Twitter about it, which is effectively the only way that anybody has consumed any of Quibi's media at this point. Despite their generous 90-day free trial offering that no one took them up on. Mm-hmm. Well, sadly, uh, it, it's gone. This is an article from Business Insider. Quibi's founder reportedly told staffers to listen to a song from the movie Trolls as he announced they would be losing their jobs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm enjoying that that's his cultural touch point as well. We'll get to the, all everything else packaged up in that. But, hey, you know that classic movie Trolls? The movie Trolls, mm-hmm. the animated film Trolls. Although when I posted this article in the Discord, in our chat, Andrew was like, oh, it is quite a good song. I assume he has watched the movie Trolls a million times because he's, well, one, he's got children. And also, mm. two, he's just a very strange he sickness, man. That's right. He's diseased in his brain. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Quibi's founder, Jeffrey Katzenberg, told employees on a call on Wednesday to listen to a song from the movie Trolls to help lift their spirits during the company's shutdown, according to a report from the Wall Street Journal. The company announced on Wednesday that it would shut down just six months after launching. People familiar with the matter told the journal that employees would be laid off and paid a severance. According to the journal, Katzenberg advised employees on the call to listen to the song Get Back Up Again, performed by Anna Kendrick, the soundtrack of the 2016 animated film Trolls. Is this somehow a movie that, because I know Anna Kendrick is involved in the platform otherwise, is this somehow like a movie that they have the rights to? Is this a sort of like a, they're just like scrolling through the flicking through the refidex of things that they actually have a license for and going, oh, well that's one. I mean, my understanding is they don't have the rights to anything, like outside of their own original content. Yeah. So I think maybe this is just... Yeah, and this man is in his 60s as well, so it's very, very strange that this is his thing of like, hey, what's like a current, like a nice sort of pick-me-up song? Uh, Yeah, very, very odd. Uh, Quibi's goal was to create short-form shows that were specially formatted for smartphones and could be watched on the go. Streaming service raised US $1.75 billion from investors like Walmart, PepsiCo, Anheuser-Busch, InBev... And others ahead of its launch in April, but failed to attract viewers. In an open letter, Katzenberg and Quibi CEO Meg Whitman said Quibi wasn't succeeding because of the coronavirus pandemic. 
and because the idea itself wasn't strong enough to justify a standalone streaming service. Yep. Yep. Uh-huh. Um, so people are classically not consuming any media at the moment. Yes. Uh, due to the coronavirus. I can't, I can't remember the last thing <laughs> I, I did uh, due to the coronavirus. I'd say most of my time at the moment is just taken up by coronavirus and coronavirus-related activities. Yeah, and it's definitely most of that is sitting on a couch uh, thinking about coronavirus, wishing yes. there was something I could watch on my phone to pass the time. But there simply isn't. No. And so that that's sort of been his whole argument, right, is that coronavirus did it, which, for the reasons we just outlined, seems very silly. But his belief is that because people aren't doing things, they don't have the downtime between yeah. things. They're waiting in queue for coffee and... Yeah, the time that you would watch an episode of your favourite uh, original Quibi program. So, this is, this is a quote from a New York Times article from uh, May this year. The service, which offers entertainment and news programs in five to ten minute chunks, was designed to be watched on the go by people who are too busy to sit down and stream TV shows or movies. It came out when millions of people were not going anywhere because of stay-at-home orders across the country. I attribute everything that has gone wrong to coronavirus <laughs> to get space in the video interview. Everything. But we own it. Mm, it kind of sounds like he doesn't. Mm. And it rules that this guy, um, who has had one of the daftest ideas to get billions of dollars worth of venture capitalist funds, um, will go to his grave believing this as well. It's... Amazing. He doesn't appear to have reflected on this in any capacity. Oh, God. It must rule to have that brain. <laughs> Just no reflection whatsoever. No reflection. Like, for some reason, I feel like I'm somehow responsible for the failure of Quibi. <laughs> like, you could have helped out, maybe. I could have helped you'd... out a bit more. You could have watched the Golden Arm show. Yeah. My hope, my belief, was that there would still be many in-between moments while sheltering in place, Mr. Katzenberg said. There are still those moments, but it's not the same. It's out of sync. And that really is where life happens, isn't it? It's it, the, the in-between moments. <laughs> That's so true. That's almost perfectly a bit of dialogue from the movie Before Sunrise. Many people who downloaded Quibi had a simple question. Why can't I watch it on TV? <laughs> In response, Mr. Katzenberg and Ms. Whitman, uh, Whitman have backpedaled on their original commitment to a smartphone-only app. So that took them a little while because they were like, no, 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 no. Uh, we absolutely will not. There's no reason to put no. this on a TV. This no. is for watching on your phone. And everyone was like, yeah, but what if I could just like airplay it, it TV. to my TV and I could just watch it there? <laughs> well, like, that's because it's not TV, Ben. It's Quibi. It's, they're quick bites. <laughs> It's not television. This reminds me of how for ages, um, I think it's owned by Southern Cross Australia, but I could be wrong. But there is an Australian sort of digital youth media website called Goat. Sort of a junky pedestrian style website. But for the first six months to one year, uh, they were just like, there is no desktop version of this website. It's only for looking at your mobile phone. Like, which... It kind of makes sense, like, the when I was working pedestrian, it was something like 90% of people would be reading an article on their phone, 10% would be doing it on a desktop. But, like, they just absolutely refuse to, even though, like, you've worked with CSS before, setting up a website that does both layouts is, like, literally no work. It takes no effort. But I would, I would say on the flip side that um, when I'm doing web development, I do not want to do anything. That is true. <laughs> if I can avoid one thing, uh, I've made my day and my life measurably easier. Oh, I forgot as well that uh, their temporary solution to the problem was that when you went to the desktop version of the website, it would present like a picture of a phone with the mobile version of the website inside it. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, very strange. Oh, that rules. Okay. <laughs> um, so, you know... Like, this whole idea on the face of it is very fucking stupid, right? It's it's patronizing to young people. It doesn't even really understand how people engage with things. Like, heaps of people watch Netflix on their phone while they're going to work or whatever. They will just, like, watch a bit of it and then pause it. Yeah, 100%. And then pick it up later. Like, they don't need these little digestible chunks, you know? Yeah, I think the, the success of the Switch has been that you can, you know, pick it up on the bus, hit the power button at any time, it closes... And when you're ready to go again, you hit the power button, it's back exactly where it was. You just keep going. And before, and that's not a concept that people find difficult to execute or understand. Yeah. 
but apparently they thought they needed $2 billion to try and solve that problem that's not a problem. What if my gap is not the size of a quibby? <laughs> well, then you, you've got to watch what half a quibby. What if I've 0.5 of a quibby or 1.5 of a quibby? <laughs> then you I don't fucked, believe basically. That you can, <laughs> I don't believe we can define time in the absolute fundamental units of quibby. Have you ever seen that? How I think this needs some, some wiggle room. Uh, like the website Medium uh, will give you an estimate of how long it will take to read it. Yes. And you're like, like nearly invariably every article that's on there is between like three and seven minutes. Yes. And it's like the difference of going, oh, nope, no, this one's a six minute read. I've only got four. <laughs> it's so silly. Won't be reading that. <laughs> Such an odd thing to include. This has been Critiquing UX, the podcast. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, you might look at this and you might say, who would invest money in this? Who would be an investor in the platform slash app Quibi? I would say probably just the most gormless worms mm. on the face of the planet. Just disgusting people. Horrible. Uh, filthy people who's... <laughs> Uh, whose idea of fun is to just squeeze sour mash onto their genitals all day long. Uh, raving idiots. This is an investment opportunity for absolute chumps, credulous rubes, and it turns out one of the investors in this was every single taxpaying Australian. Uh, so this this is from the Australian Financial Review. The Future Fund invested about $50 million in Quibi, a much-hyped phone video streaming service founded by movie mogul Jeffrey Katzenberg that said this week it would shut down after opening for just six months. The Future Fund's investment was made through Greenspring Associates, a venture capital firm based in Maryland. It represented a small slice of the $4.3 billion the government-owned investor has allocated to venture capital. One of the fund's successful investments was Atlassian. Cool. So we also are to blame for Jira. Yes. So that's a nice thought. That's our fault. It's good to know that. As Quibi winds down, we'll be receiving capital back, a futures fund spokesman said. It is the nature of venture capital that sometimes investments don't work and some produce outsized returns. Quibi hasn't spent all the money it raised and will return some to investors, meaning the future fund hasn't lost all of its $50 million. So uh, if you're not quite across this, the future fund is a, what would you call that? It's sort of like a sovereign wealth fund that's- Owned by Australia, so it's it's taxpayer money that is used for various investments. And someone involved in that said, you know what? I like the sound of this quibby. You could really go in some quibby action right now. <laughs> you guys heard about this quibby? I reckon it's going to be the next big thing. Unfortunately, uh, it was not. Sad to <laughs> say. Uh, so now we're just going to have to watch things that are twice the length of a quibby and deal with that. Or episodes of Harvey Birdman. Oh, I do love... I just started watching them again from the start the other day. It's good. It's... Fuck. I, I just enjoy a show that's dense with jokes. Oh. And it's just wall-to-wall jokes. Look, you could... I would say a more successful idea would be to set up a Plex server. You can do it in, like, the servers that they host MyGov or whatever. And just put all of Harvey Birdman on that. And give everyone in Australia a login. That's a great idea, actually. Uh, it's 11 minutes long, I think. They're like 10 or 11 minutes, right? Yeah, they're about that. The classic Adult Swim cartoon length. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I finally bingo, bingo. just fucking found a website with a quote that I really wanted, and then now I have to get a fucking free trial for Vulture to read it? No, thank you. Mm-mm. Um, well, that was going to be really interesting, but there's no way I could summarize it, so um, let's move on from that. Unless I've got it from this other website. Here we go. So this is from The Week. Uh, Vulture on Monday published a detailed report on Quibi, the mobile-centered streaming service that divides its programming into small chunks and had a disappointing launch earlier this year. It includes some interviews with the folks in charge, including CEO Meg Whitman, who, despite being the head of a streaming platform, apparently doesn't even like TV that much. Cool. Uh, yep. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd classify myself as an entertainment enthusiast, Whitman said, when asked what she's watching on TV. Asked if she has <laughs> any favorite shows, she responded, Grant, on the History Channel. It's about President Grant. <laughs> Oh, Everills, these people are monsters. They're absolute. They're, they're not. They didn't crawl out of the same primordial ooze as we did. No, it was. They came out of the bad ooze. <laughs> there was two there puddles two of ooze. Oozes. They came for the bad one. <sighs> and really, don't. We share more DNA with a banana than these fucking <laughs> weirdos. I. It's so troubling to me that, like, 
$2 billion, just as an amount of money, is an extraordinary amount of cash. And they're making decisions about this money based on, like, never having had a Netflix login in their life or anything no. like that. Just being like, oh, I watch the History Channel sometimes. You know what that reminds me of is is probably, what, one month ago, the Spotify CEO came out and was like, yeah, we know that, you know, artists are doing it tough. Um, there's no live show, uh, like... Uh, money coming in, no merchandise, all that sort of stuff. Um, they're really just going to have to start releasing more albums. Oh my god, I saw that. You just got to constantly be releasing music, new new music, which I'm sure no one's thought of before. Where we're going, hey, uh, you know how it takes us two years to make an album? What if we did one every two weeks? <laughs> it's so fucking bad. And and you just go like, well, hang on, uh, maybe why don't you pay them? But, and they won't have to. But then Spotify won't be able to generate huge amounts of money if they have to pay the artist properly. So no, you do have... It's it's one of those sort this, of <laughs> um, ooze wealth redistribution things. It's just... I think every now and then the enormity of how much everything will be ruined specifically by the actions of like a handful of venture capitalists... Uh, makes me very, very, very sad. It is very sad, isn't it? It's just the the total destruction of culture as we know it. Speaking of spineless little grubs, mm. it's time for an installment of Nature Corner. And that's where I'd play the theme song if I could figure out Lovely. how to set up my computer to do that. Beautiful. We won't be doing that. No. But just imagine what it would be like if it was playing. Country roads This is from researcher Ivan Maximov from Australia's own Swinburne University writing for The Conversation in an article entitled We Vibrated Earthworms to Learn About Safely Connecting Human Brains to Computers. Mm, Makes sense so far. So I saw this, uh, well, I think you dropped a Gizmodo link to this in the chat. Yeah, and I just want to be clear here. I'm not actively browsing Gizmodo. That is a site for perverts. I'm just, I mean, you were on there at some point to get this. I think it was from Twitter, which is a fine site. That's all right. That's reasonable. So the conversation, they basically, you just have to credit it to the conversation. You can republish any conversation article on your website or whatever. So lots of websites do this. But transplanting this from the conversation to Gizmodo with that same headline, the original headline it was published under, makes it sound like Gizmodo did this. That like, you know how all these uh, yeah. like digital media outlets will be like, we rotested the new Tesla Model Y or whatever. Mm-hmm. But instead it's this time they're just like, we fucked up some earthworms <laughs> just to see what would happen. Oh. Anyway, uh, the story goes as follows. This year, my colleague, Andre Pototsky, and I were awarded the Ig Nobel Prize in Physics for our experimental work involving vibrating living earthworms. The Ig Nobel Prizes are awarded each year to recognize scientific research that's not only thought-provoking, but also comical or unusual in nature. Imagine if you were doing some completely uh, serious, straight-faced work, which also just happened to involve vibrating earthworms to learn about safely connecting human brains to computers. And those motherfuckers from the Ig Nobel Prize <laughs> call you up and be like, hey, we heard about your ridiculous horse shit. It's the science prize for dipshits. Yeah. Would you like to come <laughs> and accept you like your it? award? It's sort of like, I feel, you know, with the, the Razzies, where like... Oh, it's sort of like a... um. It's a it's a weird thing of pride to get a Razzie. Yeah, and like the ones that go up there and accept it or whatever, there's a sort of element of being like, ah, oh, you're a good sport, you know, you're yeah. a good guy. But then occasionally they'll sort of accept it angrily. Like the speech that they give just has a weird subtext to it. We're just like, oh, you were better off ignoring this like 95% of the actors do mm-hmm. when this happens. Uh, Ivan continues, our work made people laugh and then think. At face value, it was simply two researchers observing a bunch of worms jiggling on a loudspeaker. Mm, it does seem like that. <laughs> yep. 
From these observations, however, we've discovered the potential for a new, safer approach to linking the human brain with computers. First, we sedated earthworms in alcohol to relax their <laughs> muscles. <laughs> we then vibrated them on a loudspeaker and used laser light to observe ripples on the surface of each worm. Just a regular Friday night. <laughs> How did we know that you could sedate earthworms in alcohol? Have we been dipping earthworms into various things, like giving earthworms 2CB to see if they uh, have any weird unstructural th- thinking patterns? <laughs> we dropped him in some THC tincture, and uh, this worm has just completely straightened itself out. It's just a perfect line now. What the fuck happened? <laughs> Such ripples are known as Faraday waves. In nature, frogs create these waves on the water surface to attract mates. Faraday waves can also be seen on a vibrating liquid drop when the vibrations become intense enough to make the liquid surface unstable. Earthworms consist mostly of water. And that holds out from my observation of an earthworm. They're quite wet. They're a very, very wet creature. I think 80% water, 20% skin. And 1% worm, baby. (laughs) We expected a sedated worm to vibrate similarly to a water drum. Mm. That that checks out as well. Yep. When we switched the loudspeaker on, the whole worm moved up and down. (laughs) But when we increased the volume to above the Faraday instability level, Faraday waves appeared on the worm's surface, just as we were expecting. Incredible. (laughs) Not a cell phone in sight, just vibing. (laughs) I can't imagine this is a great time for the worm. Uh, it's important to note, even though these non-linear ripples are, quote, unstable, this doesn't mean they behave in a completely chaotic way. In fact, Faraday waves can, uh, brackets after much trial and error, be programmed to behave in a certain way. And then there's a great subheading here. But why would we do this? <laughs> I don't think. Look, great research doesn't need a purpose, I think. That's so true. Discovery for the sake of discovery. Yeah, it's enough to want to vibrate a worm that's been <laughs> sedated in alcohol on a, on a loudspeaker. I don't think you need a grand purpose. It might end up in being important in the invention of Wi-Fi 2 or something. But, I mean, what if they did have a spe- specific purpose in mind and that specific purpose was incredibly ominous? Well, I can't imagine that could happen. Uh, nerve impulses let nerve cells communicate with one another by moving through the nerve fiber or axon. Past research has hypothesized nerve impulses move not only as electrical signals, but also as sound waves, which humans can't hear. We also believe this is the case. Oh, they're very pro, taking a pro sound wave in your brain stance. Yeah, there are two camps in the scientific world, and these Mm -hmm. guys are soundies, as we call them. Wavers. Sound and vibrations can both move through human skin, bones, and tissue without causing damage. Not mine. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Uh, This is how medical ultrasound imaging is done. Ultrasound simply refers to sound waves with frequencies higher than humans' upper audible limit. Sound waves can also form solitons. These are waves that move for long distances and pass by each other without any deformation occurring. They keep their shape. Water waves and canals can move as solitons, as this video shows. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to show you that video, but I simply can't. Okay. But I hear you ask, what about the worms? Mm-hmm. And, yep, yep that's mm-hmm. where we get to the point. <laughs> However, it's hard to detect solitons in human nerves, and that's why researchers instead investigate them in the nerves of earthworms, which are an effective model. Ah, uh. That classic scientific shortcut. <laughs> the classic analogue for the human body. We can't always get a human brain, but as we've d- known for decades and decades, a perfectly normal analogue <laughs> is a pile of earthworms. <laughs> Just pointing at a pile of worms and being like, this is basically you. <laughs> Another great subheading this here. This is your brain on no drugs whatsoever. <laughs> Could ultrasound vibrations transmit thoughts? If future research is able to confirm nerve impulses do, in fact, move through nerve fibers as solitons, our finding of Faraday waves in vibrating worms becomes significantly more important. Okay, so I see now why they've really hitched their uh, wagon to this particular horse. Because otherwise, it, they would just fucking with just some worms. They've been vibrating worms for, for no reason. <laughs> we would hate to, to hear that uh, nerve impulses, in fact, do not move through nerve fibers as solitons, because that means we've spent the last five years of our lives 
Imagine vibrating the- worms on loudspeakers for no reason whatsoever. The day after they publish their, their research, another paper comes out saying that the solitude theory is absolutely not true. <laughs> Four years of jiggling those worms. Oh, now we're just the worm cranks. <laughs> this may indicate potential to produce and modify nerve impulses in the brain. By externally generating ultrasound waves at different frequencies, such as on a mobile device, for instance, we may be able to trigger Faraday waves in the brain's tissues. We think these should then interact with the brain's nerve impulses and activate certain signals corresponding to, quote, thoughts. Mm, And I'm enjoying that that's in quotes. Why did they put thoughts in quotes, I wonder? Some ominous different meaning of thoughts. Yeah, it's something very troubling about that. If the nerve impulses travel through the brain as solitons, they would keep their form throughout the process, and this would ensure the transmitted thought remains consistent until it's been processed by the brain. Now, uh, again, audio medium, so we're going to have to describe this for the listener. Uh, Theo, do you want to have a crack at um, describing the diagram that's in there? Absolutely. So we've got a sort of side-on clip art head. Um, There's an empty cavity in there, um, Mm -hmm. possibly leaving room for uh, a pile of worms. Uh, They're not specific on that. And inside that is a vibrating cell phone. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, I'm going to say that that's on the skin, potentially. They've also got a a zoom out, so they've they've circled part of the cavity and they've zoomed in on on this and they've given a... It's sort of a cross-section almost. Kind of a cross-section. They've got, from left to right, a smartphone producing vibration. Um, They've got... Two little lines indicating uh, skin and bones, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which they've just left as that. Um, turning to Faraday waves excited by vibrations control nerve impulses uh, and a little zigzag, and that's going into a nerve, and that's got that nerve impulse going down it. So as you can see, we're basically 90% of the way there to implanting thoughts through um solitons uh and their summary of what is the process described in this diagram this incredible diagram the above process would equate to quote programming human thoughts uh so that's you know sort of maybe you have an app on your phone that forces you to buy products off amazon that's the sort of thing that we could do here uh There have been numerous attempts to link the human brain with computers. A growing number of high-tech companies, including Elon Musk's Neuralink, plan to implant needle electrodes into human brains to achieve this. This would allow the transmission of knowledge. For example, how to fly a helicopter or speak a foreign language from a computer directly to a person's brain in mere minutes. Of course, we're still a long way off from knowing how to actually do something this complex. However, this approach is very invasive and poses significant health risks such as inflammation of the brain tissue or brain damage. And that's now, why you should use our method, that's <laughs> where vibrations control your thoughts. And and we have... This is very well backed. Uh, I mean, we've got the worms thing. Uh, <laughs> we did the... Well, there was the worm stuff. Yeah. Have you guys backed this up with um, a bunch of worms on a loudspeaker? <laughs> Before we fund this project, I have one question for you. <laughs> was there anything outside of the worm jiggling? Now, I am also super excited to have the guy who can't make roofs stay on cars to trepan me uh, and place invasive needles into my brain to make me think that I want to go to Mars. It would be so good to uh, lose all of your childhood memories in one go during surgery just because you're a big Tesla fan. Uh, we believe our results, pending further detailed research, may help create a safer sound-based link between the human brain and computers, one that works without unsafe needle electrodes. This is a real Tesla versus Edison kind of thing going on here. Shouting down each other's theories and ideas. Yep. Um, one of them electrocuting an elephant. <laughs> yep. And one of them hunting them for sport. <laughs> Recently, solitons and optical fibers were used to achieve world record high data transmission. Therefore, nerve signals moving in solitons should be able to help transmit high data rates to the human brain. It just makes sense. It just adds up. Remember the worm thing we did earlier. What happens now? At present, we can't claim we have solid scientific evidence Faraday waves can interact with natural nerve pulses in earthworms. That said, 
Our models suggest there could be a strong interaction between the two waves when the frequency of the Faraday wave oscillations coincides with the frequency of the nerve impulses. No current models can predict exactly which frequencies are needed to allow this interaction. We'd have to conduct many, many trial and error tests to potentially find this out. So far, we have pitched our ideas to several neurobiology research communities and have received positive feedback overall. <laughs> Is there a little implication there just by the overall? Yeah. Have you maybe received some negative feedback as well? And also, pitching, just picking up the phone and saying, hey, um, very well-respected neurobiology research community. So we've got this thing going on with uh, worms on a loudspeaker, and we really want to scale it up to uh, doing a whole inception thing with the brain. I, uh, yeah, no, no, thank. Yep. Um, so can we meet next? You busy, busy. Um, hadn't named a day yet, but that's okay. no. We're we're still hoping to uh, sort that out. Some scheduling issues. Um, phones no longer being picked up on the other end, but that's okay. We'll work <laughs> this out. Positive, positive feedback. Eventually, we hope our work can be useful to high-tech companies as well as our colleagues investigating similar questions, but for now, it continues. For now, the research continues. So, to my mind, these many, many trial and error tests they need to do to figure out what frequencies will start controlling earthworms is you just play a bunch of different songs on your Spotify, through your loudspeaker, every single day until all of a sudden the worm starts behaving weirdly. And you have to determine what counts as weird behavior for a worm. <laughs> Every single day you're looking at it and saying, please leave that worm alone. That is normal earthworm behavior. Got a little bit more Nature Corner for you here. This is a story from a publication called the Brussels Times. Hundreds of self-cloning crayfish invade Antwerp Cemetery. Hmm. A tale as old as time itself. We kind of didn't want to cover this initially because we thought people would be sick of stories about um, hundreds of self-cloning crayfish invading <laughs> Antwerp cemeteries. But we just have to go back to the well for one more. I, you know what? I reckon this story would be like, it would be a fine story, just a perfectly normal story, I think, if it wasn't for the cemetery element. If it's hundreds of self-cloning crayfish invade a local park, Pretty weird. You wouldn't want to hear about it, though. Yeah. A cemetery, though, that really sells it. The Antwerp City Cemetery Schoenselhof has been invaded by hundreds of marbled crayfish and pools and streams around the grounds, presenting a danger to local biodiversity, according to the Flemish Institute for Nature and Woodland Research, or INBO. The marbled crayfish, Procombaris virginalis, is a creature that does not exist in nature but is thought to have been created experimentally by pet traders in Germany in the 1990s. <laughs> Imagine you're just, you're just going to visit your, uh, your great-great-grandfather who died in wherever Normandy is. Is Normandy in Belgium? Normandy, no, I thought, was in France. France. Yeah. Same, I think the same They're thing. They're basically the same country as yeah. far as I'm concerned. And you're basically chased out of the cemetery by hundreds of mutant... <laughs> German crayfish. I love the idea of uh, that they were created experimentally. To me, it's got undertones of like accidentally ruining your mind by smoking the experimental CIA weed in the seventies. <laughs> except it's accidentally ruining a cemetery by releasing experimental crayfish. <laughs> now. I don't know whether this has been done on the straight and narrow. As far as I know, the kind of treaties around Germany, very specific um, <laughs> post-war about the kinds of crayfish experiments they're allowed to uh, to perform. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to just say this is one that's been done on the down low. Uh, th th this crayfish, the crayfish is similar to the... Now, do you reckon that's sloth crayfish? Slough crayfish. Because its skin sloughs off, right? That's the word we use? Oh, um, I don't know. I haven't heard of that one. Hmm. Right in, if I've got that wrong. Uh, found in Florida in the US with one important difference. It is parthenogenetic, which means it is able to reproduce without mating, and all offspring are female and genetically identical. Oh, so it's sort of like a banana. Yes, it is sort of like a banana. This is also just like insane to me that like i i this completely 
I don't understand this. I don't understand how this exists. This runs contrary to my understanding of what animals do with DNA and such. A classic two animals. Yeah. Creates a child. Takes two to tango. Yeah, sort of a cat's cradle situation. Yeah. But no, now we just have this species of uh, self-cloning crayfish that will eventually take over the whole world. Who knows? I think so. That characteristic makes it easy for a large population to spring up quickly, which is what appears to have happened in Antwerp. Someone apparently had the animal in their aquarium and then set it free in a canal, said Kevin Shears of the Inbo. It's impossible to round up all of them. It's like trying to empty the ocean with a thimble. (laughs) I feel like Kevin had a hard week when they asked him this question. (laughs) Marbled crayfish have already been spotted in the Berkham area of Antwerp, as well as two sightings near Leuven. And if they've got that far... (laughs) (laughs) I am enjoying the concept of like a... um, when this becomes a world emergency, like a map on the European news channels, the sort of like um, the Tiberium spread map from Command and Conquer. Yeah. But it's marbled crayfish. And it's just like big, big marbled red and white arrows pointing from Brussels into, <laughs> into West Germany, northern France. The crayfish spread is continuing unabated. We are at a level three crayfish danger today. <laughs> It's got, it's got the little fire danger signs, except just with one crayfish claw <laughs> up at extreme. <laughs> it's just like color coded, but the crayfish just gets more and more menacing. You know those like mobile game ads <laughs> where you like it shows what sort of wizard you will progress through. <laughs> Start as a useless little level ninety nine crayfish. <laughs> <laughs> Often people get tired of their animals or the marbled crayfish population is getting too large at home. <laughs> so, of all these this, marbled crayfish. <laughs> keep an opening cupboards and marbled crayfish are spilling out. You're like, oh, I've got to dump these in a canal. <laughs> it must seem like a good idea to let the animals loose in nature. It does seem like a good idea. Since a single example can clone itself and so reproduce exponentially, it represents a threat to the local environment. The crayfish eats anything it can get hold of. It is able to travel up to two kilometers <laughs> and dig down to a depth of one meter. <laughs> Good lord. The marbled crayfish is about 10 centimeters in size and crawls around both in the water and over land at night. <laughs> she said that's how they move to other canals and pools. <laughs> For the time being, there is no easy way of getting rid of the growing population. <laughs> in Spain, they tried some experiments with poison, but that is not permitted in Belgium. <laughs> In 2014, the European Union introduced a total ban on the possession, trade, transport, production, and release of the species in the wild. However, since all examples of the species are identical, it would be impossible to trace back to wherever the cemetery examples came from. Incredible. Oh, it's so good. Just, what a problem to have. You know, I just feel like... In my day-to-day life, I'm not seeing crayfish, and they're not overrunning the town that I live in. Yeah, and we do live a blessed ex- experience, uh, existence in that kind of regard. And I, I'm imagining that they're probably going to have to set up some sort of, like, uh, eat-out-to-help-out <laughs> sort of deal. <laughs> they give everyone one of those... What are the very compact little um, Japanese charcoal grills? Yeah, so, um, the, the little... Um, fuck. Yakitori yeah, things. Yeah. Uh, you get you get a yakitori in the mail, a stick of butter, and an <laughs> oversized bib. <laughs> and those and those long forks that you can use for barbecuing. <laughs> Within months, the problem will be taken care of. Hi, everybody. It's me. It's Theo. Now, I guarantee you, I'm more afraid of recording this promo than you are of listening to it. So, hear me out. If you haven't already, maybe check out our Patreon. It's a great way to support the show, and it gives us the ability to actually dedicate time to this thing. You'll get all of our bonus episodes. It's over 300 extra episodes in total, and we'll set up a feed over there with none of these promos, so you won't have to hear this ever again. You'll also get access to our Discord, uh, which honestly has turned into a, a nice and funny place full of mostly normal people to hang out with. So that's patreon.com slash buntavista. Check it out. Now to a completely different kind of animal. I am, of course, talking about podcasters. Hmm. We we also um, reproduce 
hermaphroditically. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just sort of clone sexlessly. <laughs> yep, that's uh, true. Live a puddle-based experience existence. Constantly damp. That's certainly true. Very damp. Um, claws that can crush um, beetles and snack on the goo inside. But not one kind of beetle. Do you see that article? It was. I probably should have put it in the notes. They're oh, the doing unsmashable beetle. The unsmashable beetle. The beetle yeah. that can't be smashed. <laughs> there was. Uh, they were trying to compare like. Oh, God, I wish I could remember the numbers, but it was just like a joke amount of strength when you scale it up to a person. Yeah. They're like, they can withstand, you know, a couple of hundred thousand pounds of pressure or whatever. If this was a human being, it would be eight million pounds or whatever. And you're like, oh, why didn't we do that with humans? Why not make the whole why, plane why out of black box? Why didn't we do that <laughs> with humans? <laughs> it's a real unstoppable force versus uncrushable beetle situation. <laughs> Could God create a beetle so uncrushable that he himself could not crush it? <laughs> it turns out, yes. Yeah. No, he... He, he did it. Uh, yeah. It's actually a very easy paradox to solve. Uh, this is a story from <laughs> the New York Times. Fire Festival promoter has a podcast and a spot in solitary confinement. They're clearly having a little bit of, a little bit of fun with that headline there. Mm-hmm. Billy McFarland, the disgraced entrepreneur behind the notorious Fire Festival and a current federal inmate, has been placed in solitary confinement, his lawyer said on Friday, after McFarland participated in a new podcast about his crimes that was released this week. McFarland, 28, who is serving six years for fraud, can be heard discussing his various hijinks and their aftermath in detail from a prison phone on a show titled Dumpster Fire, which premiered Tuesday. Now, that has um, F-Y-R-E yeah, in the title, so you can kind of see they're going for two things there. It's a sort of um, a play on words, which has apparently already been done by a bunch of other podcasts when I was trying to find this one. According to Mr. McFarlane's lawyer, he has been in 23-hour-a-day solitary confinement since last week after a trailer for the podcast was released online. It may remain there for up to 90 days or more, pending an unspecified investigation by the Federal Bureau of Prisons. We believe the investigation stems from his participation in the podcast and the photographs that were taken and utilised in the trailer, which were all properly taken, said the lawyer, Jason Russo. We don't believe he's violated any rule or regulation, and there can't possibly be anything else. He's been a model prisoner there. Mr. McFarland has previously placed in solitary at a different facility for possessing a flash drive, his lawyer said. So... They're Mm -hmm. saying that they don't know if it's the podcast that got him put... In there. Yes. Or if it is, that they shouldn't have, and that podcasting is not a crime. Hmm. Which And I think, yeah, as as we're as you can imagine, uh, we believe this is completely backwards. We are definitely a pro abolitionist uh, podcast. hundred percent. Except in the case of podcasters. A hundred percent. Yes. Who believe uh, we believe do belong in solitary confinement. Um, or perhaps Strapped to a large conveyor belt uh, leading into a furnace. Yes. We we absolutely believe, in the depth of our hearts, that society has moved well beyond the need for prisons, never really had one in the first place, and that justice has no point if it's not in some way rehabilitative or restorative, and that just punishing people for the sake of it doesn't actually help them integrate back into normal life. But we do also believe that you should maybe just drop podcasters into a wood chipper. No, that that's correct. Look... Capital punishment, um, I think we're kind of, societally, we're getting to a point where we understand it's not a, um, it's not a deterrent, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. Uh, obviously, lots and lots of people who are um, not actually guilty of the crimes that they're accused of end up being put to death. Um, but what I am saying is that all podcasters should be turned into cubes in a factory. Certainly. And they can make a documentary about that, and they can call it maybe Cube. Now, I, th- I, th- mm-hmm. I think it might, yep, might have already been done. That doesn't sound right. We'll work it out. Mr. McFarland's cellmate, who participated in the podcast, was also placed in solitary confinement, the lawyer said. On the first episode of Dumpster Fire, in which Mr. McFarland is interviewed by the podcaster Jordan Harbinger, <laughs> Mr. McFarland says that the inspiration for the podcast came last year, during his previous three months stint in solitary which he called a much-needed confrontation with reality and the hardest but most impactful period of my life. 
Solitary led to this forced reflection on my mistakes and the people I hurt, Mr. McFarlane said, noting that any proceeds he earned from Dumpster Fire would go toward the $26 million in, dollars in restitution he owes his victims. Now, we get paid from a podcast. We get we, podcast money. We do. We do. And I won't say that it is quite $26 million. It's not. I get shy-ish of a... Of, a full-time wage, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think if I contributed all of the money I made from this podcast, it would make all that much of a dent in a $26 million fund. No, but to be fair, ours is not called Dumpster Fire. That's true. There's no pun in our title, or at least not no, a very actually, good one. <laughs> not one that people recognize, which is the best kind of pun. Yeah, it's great now that we've taken out the part that would maybe help people identify it as a pun, and now it's just a nonsense series of words. Mm-hmm. But hey, it's not horseshoe beery. <laughs> At least we got that. <laughs> Mr. McFarlane initially pled guilty to two counts of wire fraud after investigators said that he had defrauded investigators in his company, Fire Media, in a subsidiary that promoted the music festival, resulting in $24 million in losses. But while out on bail, Mr. McFarlane was charged with two additional counts of fraud related to a new company that prosecutors said sold fake tickets to fashion, music, sports events. It is said to have cost at least 30 victims a minimum of about $150,000. That rules. That rules. So, That's not really a company, is it? That's no. just theft. That's <laughs> <laughs> and surely, I don't know whether you have to be that specific in, in bail conditions to say, hey, don't go orchestrating any more large-scale frauds now, will you? Yeah, if you can avoid doing any sort of crimes, uh, that's going to be our bail. Oh, you've... No, you just set up a website where we sold fake tickets for enormous sums of money. Okay, that's interesting. The defendant is a serial fraudster, and to date, his fraud, like a circle, has no end. Judge Naomi Rice Bookwad said when she sentenced Mr. McFarlane to prison. That's so true. His fraud, like a circle, has no end. Has no end. That is such an unnecessary flourish. Now, (laughs) name some things about a circle. Flat. Mm. No end. Ah, there we go. Does that help you understand? (laughs) Yep. Immediately, I'm picturing a circle in my mind. (sighs) Mr. McFarland has been dishonest most of his life, she concluded. (laughs) (laughs) But. I mean, so have I. <laughs> That's true. Uh, we got one more thing here. We are going to reach into the mailbag, which I don't think we have a theme for, do we? I don't think so. Have we ever? Maybe we can just play the That's Where You Come In from YKS. Or we could play one of the many hundred uh, Comedy Bang Bang mailbag themes. Just steal them. You'll oh, notice. Yeah. No one's what? listened to Comedy Wait, no, Bang it's Bang, the plugs one that they... Get the, the listener submitted, isn't I fucked that up. Anyway, this is a, a, an email that was sent in to us from listener Stu. The subject here is medical simulation of cock and balls. And I just want to make it very clear. My pronunciation there is because uh, this is cock and balls as sort of a one word with apostrophes and then an N and then apostrophe. Yeah, and stylized in the Toys R Us fashion. beans. Yep. Toys R Us, salt and pepper. Anyway, yep. uh, this is regarding something that we discussed on episode 168, Field of Creams. Now, I didn't discuss that. You I was did not. caring for my brand new child. Yes. My, my beautiful miracle. You were busy experiencing the joy of fatherhood. While That's right. We were talking about a man in the United States who, while attempting to show off his gun at a supermarket, shoved it back into the waistband of his pants and then shot himself in the groin. Now, I'm not going to say which is more worthwhile. No, and I'd hope not. Between the birth of my child and talking about a man shooting himself in the dick. Yeah, and you made a choice, though, So, and, and it's sort of implied in that choice. I did. It was a real sliding doors moment there. <laughs> this is the universe where... Uh, Caitlin has left you with a child because, mm-hmm. sorry, I should make that phrasing clear. She has left you and she has taken the child when she left. Yes. Because you chose to discuss someone shooting themselves in the dick instead of spending the time with your newborn baby. Newborn baby, which, which again, uh, complete miracle. Um, 
life-changing event. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, let's talk about a man shooting himself. Um, sorry, we're not going to talk about a man shooting himself in the dick. We're going to talk about a homegrown medical simulation. Yes. Uh, so, the to contextualize this, the the... The bit we were trying to decipher from the information we were given was whether the bullet would have actually passed through his dick. Because uh, it was described that he shot himself in the groin and that it went through his thigh near his femoral artery. And to my mind, yeah. I absolutely believe that means it must have gone through the meatus. If you use the word groin yeah. to describe an injury, when you could be saying meatus, mm-hmm. frenulum, Glands, Shaft. vans difference. Yep. Vas difference? I, I don't know what the parts of the penis are called. Yep. Barely use it. Sack. <laughs> and so so forth. You're a coward. Yep. People want to know exactly which part of the groin was injured. I want to know where this bullet has entered, where this bullet has left. So, uh, this is where Stu comes in. Stu says, Hi. I'm a secret CSI type, and I've used my rare expertise to create a 3D simulation of the guy that shot himself in the dick with his concealed carry gun. I believe the attached images prove conclusively that he would indeed have been able to either A, blow off his cock and balls at the base before passing through his leg and narrowly missing his femoral artery, or B, just blow off his bell end. Brackets, not in a good way. Either way, a bad day. Please see images and wince. Lots of love to you all, particularly Lucy, because she's the only one of you who would never blow her dick off. The rest of you, possibly. Now, I'm going to take I'm going to take issue with that. Umbridge, even. Um, considering that Lucy's not here today, mm-hmm. because uh, her and her and Andrew, uh, they had too much um, quote unquote caffeine last night. Uh huh. They got on the uh, caffeine. They got on the caffeine, and uh, Lucy potentially broke her ankle. Yep, that's what we've been told. That's what we've pieced together from the cryptic messages that we get in the hidden Discord <laughs> channel um, that also have included, um, hey, I just got punched in the face <laughs> without without venturing any further information. Did we? Did, I guess we let Andrew probably describe what happened to him, but this is, what, this is now two weeks in a row where... This morning, we didn't hear from them until early afternoon, and Andrew's just like, lol, lol, Lucy probably broke her foot. And then a week ago, uh, did Andrew say, what did he say first, that he just punched someone or that he got punched? No, that he got punched. Mm, He said, I just got punched in the face. Yeah. And so this is great for us, for the uh, minority members of the podcast who don't live in Andrew's house, uh, where we have to find... (laughs) Out these comings and goings from short messages that are very short on detail. The fuck is happening to those people? Yeah, I mean, they are in some sort of stimulant-fueled haze, uh, as most of Canberra are. Uh, and we're just exchanging messages about uh, whether or not you got the storm yet. Yeah, and that was very nice. And we both did get the storm. It was very lovely. We did get the storm. We got some hail. Um, we were predicted for large, potentially giant size hailstones. I think um, got little got, ones. We just got normal hailstones, I yeah. would say. Although someone on Twitter replied to me from out at Cooper's Plains, and they got some pretty big ones. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I saw one from Acacia Ridge, that sort of deal as well, and I'm not that far from them, but just the normal ones here. And that has anyway. been Brisbane's storm update. Mm-hmm. Uh, now back to the cock and balls. So if you... Uh, I, I want to scroll down to these images there, yep. Theo. What we have presented here is a 3D rendering of the musculature of a human being with uh, balls and a penis, uh, which is a frankly horrifying image, largely just due to the wet, wet nature of the testicles in the penis. Yeah, they, they've really applied a strong specular layer to the dick and balls. I think um, they've maybe even done some ray tracing to yeah. accurately simulate uh, how the light plays off them. Yeah, some subsurface scattering. Um, there is also no skin but a fully featured uh, meatus. Now, uh, th- my question here is, <laughs> because as you say, there's no skin on any other part of this. Yeah. It- <laughs> There's no way this is what that looks like without skin. So, is it just they've left the skin on the dick and balls? Yeah, no, it's weird, right, because the you would 
so they still have the complete shape of the balls, which balls without skin, I would assume, discrete objects. Sure, <laughs> just horrible. Like, to look at horrible to live with. Dang, <laughs> dangling spider oysters. No. Uh, and what Stu's done here, helpfully, is he has uh, used <laughs> possibly Microsoft Paint, possibly not, to uh, draw a line across the waist. So this is the waistline of the trouser. He has then uh, sort of taken a line from where you would assume the end of the gun would be if you stuffed it through that waistband and then followed that line through to just near the femoral artery. Yep. And I will say that he hasn't used the line tool here. He's used he's freehanded a pencil, this one. Or he's freehanded this. Yeah. Potentially to demonstrate the ballistic scattering of the bullet. Oh, that might well be true. Yeah. It's the rifling, so you can see that it's sort of um Yeah. Not taking a direct in path. The flesh, yeah. Yep. And it's certainly so in the first image it is passed through I'm going to say the majority of the penis. Yeah, really, you would struggle to hit more of the penis <laughs> you, with with a single bullet. You'd have to shoot straight down to collect <laughs> as much penis tissue. Uh, and the second time, we're kind of going through the base there, which I think is the horrifying scenario is presenting where you blow the dick and balls clean off. <laughs> which, I mean, I don't even know what's worse in that scenario. Is having a bullet go all the way through... Worse than like just detaching, detaching cleanly. it cleanly. Maybe they and can reattach just one it. One spot to sew back on. Yeah, yeah. I, hmm. The first one really implies a sort of, um, you know, the the Fatal Farm RoboCop segment where mm. RoboCop just shoots about four hundred guys <laughs> in their dicks. <laughs> so they do, and their dicks are just exploding and falling apart and all that sort of thing. I would find that far harder to deal with, I, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the clean-off clean off option actually probably seems nicer. Well, because what's his name? The quote-unquote victim of Lorinda Bobbitt. He got his shit sewn back on, and then he did some porno. This guy could still do some porno. Is if that he, true? If we're taking... I mean, I'm not saying that to um... doubt you. I just never heard of that. That's amazing. I think so. And wow. if it's not, it's a good thought. That's a great story if it's not true. And it's a great story if it is true. So I guess it doesn't really matter. So this is the best lead we have so far because no, there have been no further updates about the story uh, that had more details about how it happened. So unless you, uh, the listener, somehow have access to the relevant sort of sheriff's department or hospital records that you could leak to us... Mm. Um, Looking at this model, I'm going to make a call and say, this man uh, shot himself in the dick. Whereas, look, I'm fresh to this. I'm new. This is the first time I've laid eyes and ears on this. Mm -hmm. But I would like to propose a sort of grassy knoll option where he was shot in the dick (laughs) by by a distant CIA asset. So he shot himself just through the thigh. No, no, no. His gun didn't fire. Oh, wow. Okay. He's a patsy. Yeah. Uh, we all know that, you know, keeping your, your gun in your waist pants uh, without the safety on, sort of spinning it around your finger. Uh, these are all cool and safe things to do yeah. and have never harmed anybody. Isn't and it- this is a uh, an Obama agent in the, in the uh, pocket of gun control, big gun control. False flag. Mm-hmm. And the irony is they've used a gun to execute this. <laughs> that is ironic. In the comments of, like, uh, the Sheriff's Department posting about this on their Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Which like- is a normal thing and not at all kind of just a very strange aspect to our collapsing society. Americans love doing this sort of thing. Uh, like, the top comment was a guy being like, if you've never had an accidental discharge, you're not a real gun owner. He's mm. <laughs> like, oh, I don't know, man. What a fun thought. <laughs> very strange and very troubling. And these people walk among us. Well, I think that's about everything we have time for. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. Subscribe to the Patreon if you like. Um, don't do it if you don't want to. No, if- certainly not. Yeah, we won't make don't you. Don't do it out of spite. No, don't do it for any other emotion other than... Uh, the warm, warm feeling of wanting to make sure I can keep buying weed. 
And that is a good cause. Mm. Uh, crime pass for this week, T-Bird? I think shoot a gun owner in his dick. Yep. In a way that kind of implicates himself. That's it. Uh, that's a pretty good one. Mm-hmm. All right. We'll see you next week. Yeah. Bye. Bye.